Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts, Saranth Odinson and Jim Two Snakes, talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late-night conversations by real-life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? I die a little each day, each step taking me just a little closer to the ancestors. I die a little each day, hardly macabre, rather hopeful for the steps behind me. I die a little each day, in the hope that my memory lives well within, for whom I will be an ancestor. So I ask, help me, ancestors, to take each step with you behind, before, and beside me. Help me, ancestors, to be hopeful each step behind me, with you behind, before, and beside me. Help me, ancestors, to help my memory live well within my descendants, walking with me behind, before, and beside them. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 25. I am Jim Two Snakes, joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Sarenth Odinson. How are you doing tonight, Sarenth? I'm doing really well. Are you managing not to boil to death here? We're getting our first... (laughs) lick of summer here in michigan and i'm telling Um, you what i was not ready no from from cool spring right into summer with like a flip of a switch this is not good i mean i'm I'm drinking meat for a reason (laughs) (laughs) oh that's your reason (laughs) (laughs) well with that everybody let me let me introduce you to our guest tonight um it is not often that I am kind of starstruck by our guests. We've had some very prominent ones, don't get me wrong, but our, our guest tonight, I am so excited to talk to. Uh, Phyllis Curat has been an elder of the pagan and Wiccan community for a long time, has a deep background with shamanic practice, was instrumental in rites for pagans and heathens, like getting uh, markers on gravestones and the right to uh, practice religion within prisons. Just a phenomenal person, and we are so glad to have her on the show with us tonight. Welcome, Phyllis. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here, and that was a very kind introduction. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, like, it's hard not to... you know, I, I, I have to feel like honored myself because it's not often I'm looking look at your web page, you know, oh, we're just going to do a keynote speaking at the, the conference for world religions. We're going to talk with Deepak Chopra. We're going to do this uh, Facebook live thing that has thousands of people watching <laughs> it. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm like, really, you're going to be on our show. That's great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really appreciate it, though. Well, I'm, I, I was gone for a long time and. Um, and I'm back. So I want to do everything and don't belittle your show because it's actually incredibly important. You know that. Um, thank you. And, um, 
gosh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of things that uh, somebody who, I, I, who was willing to be a public witch from the very early 1980s, from the minute I crossed the threshold, um, I was public. Mm -hmm. And uh, increasingly so as time went by. And I shouldn't have been able to do the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. um, I probably could have done more if I wasn't <laughs> a public witch. But the whole point was to be a public witch. When everybody mm -hmm. in the 1980s and everybody was hiding behind um, gnome, gnome de guerres, gnome de plumes, gnome mm -hmm. de craft, um, I was just like, nope, uh, I'm going to keep my craft name private and I'm going to be me because you can't practice this spiritual path. If you truly believe in, um, Whoops. Oh, <laughs> Hey, we found Kate. How about that? <laughs> hey guys. Joining us, uh, uh, Caitlin Stormbreaker. She's joining us here with a little, has a few Skype issues today. Uh, no, actually, I got the time wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was 7 o'clock this whole time, and then I looked down, and I was like, oh, crap, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's blame Mercury Retrograde on that one. I blame it as often uh, as I possibly can for as many things as I possibly can. <laughs> it's good to have a plus, scapegoat. <laughs> plus sure, so bad. Yeah, I feel bad for blaming Mercury because he's kind of a cool dude. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Phyllis, you were saying that, that uh, yeah, you, you were in the oh, public yeah. for quite the a beginning. while. Yeah. And then yeah. you stepped back for a little bit of a while. Is it, has it been hard kind of coming back to the forefront a little bit and, and, and uh, finding the recognition again? Or is that not something so, you're really worried about? Oh, no, not. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I, I was never, um, I was never big on self-promoting you know mm -hmm. lots of people had newsletters and this and that and the other thing and I never did I was always just very focused on the work mm -hmm. um and I figured you know it, that the work would speak for itself right and it wasn't important what was important was having access to a microphone mm -hmm. so that um I could be a good bearer of the message right that mm -hmm. I could do my job because my job as a lawyer, as a writer, um, as a speaker, um, and as somebody who was really focused on uh, banishing the negative stereotypes and opening the path and opening the way so that people would find what this is, right, mm -hmm. um, and all the various uh, forms of it and expressions of it, because, wow, has it flourished in the last 40 right. years, right? It's not just Wicca. It's like everything. Mm -hmm. um, that 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 was what was important. And, and along the way, um, there have been gifts and blessings of awards and honors and this and that. Um, but I think in part, just because I absolutely refused, because I just was like, no, just because I am a witch, you can't say I can't be the vice chair of the Parliament of the World's Religions. You know, <laughs> I had to work 10 times harder, um, you know, to uh, establish self-worth. But mm -hmm. as a woman, I, you know, who was very new um, in the field of law, I became a lawyer in 1979, 
5% of lawyers were women then. Wow. So I was kind of used to that having to prove myself. Right. Like, you know, that women, women always say they had to be twice as good as men and be able to do it backwards and in, and in high heels. <laughs> so, you know, be a witch. And that means you have to be able to do it backwards in high heels and wearing a pointy hat, you know, and dealing with everybody's whacked out stereotypes. But I, I guess I like a challenge, you know, uh, I like a big windmill. And um, so coming back has it's not about the notoriety it's a totally different world i mean it's mm -hmm. really thrilling to come back and to see that um that efforts that i made at the beginning and lots of other people although a much 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 smaller group back then um but then you know you plant these seeds and for a while you tend them and then i went off into the wilderness and other people tended them and now there is this massive community i mean I was saying in the 1990s that witchcraft was the, statistically, witchcraft was the fastest growing spirituality in the United States. And finally, 20 years later, the Pew Foundation, citing the exact same statistics that I was citing <laughs> 20 years ago, um, and the continued growth rate that those right. statistics showed, is acknowledging that, lo and behold, witchcraft is the fastest growing spirituality in the United States. We don't have to say one of, it is the fastest growing mm -hmm. spiritual, it really truly is. And it's morphed, it's, it's changed shape. Um, but in a certain sense, I think the same problems that we had 20 years ago that prompted me to start writing are very similar problems now that, that there aren't a lot of mentors, there aren't mm -hmm. a lot of elders, there aren't a lot of people with a tremendous amount of, um, experience behind them right there are lots of books and there's lots of people talking on instagram and there's lots of people doing research and there's lots of memes that say the full moon is a great time for banishing <laughs> um, <laughs> so and there are a lot of people doing what i would call sort of occult practice mm -hmm. and remnants of victorian magic and calling it witchcraft um, because there aren't a lot of elders and there aren't a lot of teachers. And that's partly the, the consequence of, of the exclusiveness of the old coven structure. Right. right. And then the explosion that first was started by publishing mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s and then exacerbated by the big microphone of the Internet in the, right, right, in the last 20 years. However... You know, I learned the microphone in the 1990s, 20 years ago, when my books first came out. I was on the Bill O'Reilly show and The View and in the New York Times. You know, I learned how to communicate using that microphone. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to communicate to the mainstream community, to disabuse them of the, the negative stereotypes, to make it safe for people to practice their religion and to make the religion accessible to people who might not otherwise have found it. Now... We have this this enormous large community. We also have the New Age community, which right. I think is quite open and ready for this. They're ready for an embodied spirituality, which is how I think of the practice and how I practice it. And it's a question of learning to use the new microphone mm -hmm. and learning to do it um, effectively. And um, and once again, for me, it's a long answer. You see why I'm not good at these things. <laughs> once again, for me, it's not about me. It's about the message. And that journey that I was on where I left the community and I left the public realm, I didn't 
leave advocacy because I continued to work with the Parliament of the World's Religions on behalf of our community. But, but I pretty much was apprenticing with Mother Earth and dealing with the depression, which I would love to talk to you a little bit sure. about because people don't talk about that. Right. Um, Absolutely. And how I recovered from that and the dismemberment that I went through in that 10-year period. And so now when I'm coming back, um, I come back with a simpler uh, practice and a clearer purpose and a more profound commitment to the message that I was given by Mother Earth, yeah, that all things, all creatures are meant to live according to her wisdom and that only human beings have forgotten and that the consequence mm -hmm. is the destruction of life and the mm -hmm. planet and that we have time to correct our ways and return to a sacred relationship with her, but we need to attend to it. And that's all my work is about now. And, you know, I do the, the tasks that are given to me and the opportunities that are offered to me wherever they're offered. And they may not seem to me as if they're exactly on that message, but I'm finding that everything that I'm asked or asked to do or being given the chance to do is actually a part of carrying. I mean, when she shared it with me, she said, and now you must carry it. And that was the hardest part was, was um, uh, accepting that I was worthy of carrying it. And, and, um, and I wore myself out in the struggle against that and, and, became a hollow reed and now it's just that that voice that's as much as i can i mean you know it's me and i talk mm -hmm. too much but as much as possible learning to speak well of what i learned so yeah it's not it's not about me um it's about the message it's always been about that right it's always right. been about that i kind of feel like the lack of self-esteem that I've had since I was a child and the self-doubt that has been my demon that afflicted me for most of my life um, has actually been a blessing because I sort of felt like the universe gave me these extraordinary tasks and opportunities because she, she, because she knew that I would carry it for the right reason. Makes complete sense. That yeah. makes complete sense. Was there Does anything it? really yeah. shocking about the community when you kind of came back? how big it was, mm -hmm. um, how angry some of it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. We have talked about that before. It is amazing. There are definitely some pockets of anger and resistance in there. Oh, that's interesting. That's a big conversation. I really would like to hear what, what your perceptions are. Yeah, the size, the anger, the enthusiasm, mm -hmm. the ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> my, my fault. My fault, in part, you know, if you leave the scene, then, you know, in to some extent, it's your responsibility, you know, with what crops up in your absence. Um, you know, if, you're, if, they, if there aren't elders around, you know, then, you know, uh, it's a kid, you know, then in the, it'll be, you know, it'll be the party that it'll be. Um, well, it's uh, hard. Even, the, even, even elders are human. They make mistakes even while they're still active in the mm -hmm. community and things are going on. They have the same human pitfalls as the rest of us. So Absolutely. No, it's so, yeah. I mean, and maybe more because of the accumulation of time. Yeah. It's hard to break <laughs> <Right>. bad habits. <laughs> I can think of a few elders. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, what else? Instagram is fascinating. Um, 
I mean, at first it appalled me and horrified me. And then I began to see incredible beauty Mm -hmm. and a lot of wisdom and a lot of creativity and the possibilities for magic and for, um, for the medium to serve as a kind of Clayton of, you know, that kind of random, uh, synchronicity, the, the random context in which the message, uh, the voice of the sacred could express itself, um, through synchronicity uh, or algorithm. (laughs) 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 Same thing, maybe. Yeah. I don't, um, awful lot of shaved heads, awful lot of tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting used to it. Uh, Yeah, it's a big conversation. I think part of the the gender conversation and the measure of 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 anger that has been attached to what I've seen worries me, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think is necessary. And I'm hoping will will become calm and peaceful and um, mutually supportive. Um, I, I I I'm excited actually. I'm really excited about um what lies ahead I, I know we are heading into very dark and difficult times between the politics and um the climate issues and um and the lack of leadership but i'm i'm the the, the one of the great magics that um was shared with me that we all talk about but i really was able to sort of personally live it was the the gift of rebirth, right? The magic that the earth has of of bringing things back to life, and I think it's one reason that shamanic traditions always have dismemberment practices because they also know that the, that you know the purification and the unmaking is the necessary step before the return, before uh, the seed can be. You, you have to harvest and get rid of the husk for a seed to be gleaned and planted and for new life to emerge. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that is what I focus on, you know, and I think that there are a lot of seed carriers in this community. I think there's an enormous excitement and optimism amongst them. And they're halfway around the circle. Most of them, you know, with that sort of occult practice that they, their work is about intention, intention, and willpower, and there's a lot of talk about manipulating unseen forces. So they haven't made the connection to the heart yet, to the realm of the ancestors fully, and they haven't learned how to work with the wisdom of Mother Earth and how to act in accord with her, right? And then to return to the place of beginnings. Um, They're partway around the circle. Uh, They're in the head and the will. So they're in the masculine aspects of the work although these are mostly women. Uh, but I'm optimistic that they're going to continue. I mean, I've always said that if you, if you work it, it'll work. And if they continue to practice, I think they'll make their way. And if there are good people being willing to mentor, um, and I think a lot of people who uh, are from my generation are gradually coming back, um, you know, feel the call of responsibility and want to be there, and want to be a help. Um, I think they'll make that. I think they're going to make it around the rest of the circle. And I think we're going. I hope. 
that we are going to fulfill the role that I believe uh, is the reason for the explosion. I think the first round is the spellcasting and the, the, the longing for power and f- mm-hmm. uh, for impact and for effect and to control one's own life and to have an, in, you know, an impact in that way. But quickly you mature beyond that to a, a role of service um, and of understanding that to be a witch is to be a wise one, to be a seer of the sacred, and to seek to live in a sacred way because you're living in a sacred world. And I truly believe that the reason that there is this vast explosion going on beyond, you know, we can point to the mechanics of stuff, right? The explosion of the internet, blah, 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 blah. That, that's the mechanical side. The visionary side, the sacred side, I believe, is that people are being called to this path by, by the earth, by the sacred by Mother Earth, because she is in need, and that if they continue their journey around the circle, they will come into her wisdom, and they'll do their jobs. They will become wise, and and they will be part of the process of returning us to right relationship with the Earth, because that's really what it means to be a witch. That's what it means to be a witch. Sarah and I have had that conversation a few times as well, that, um, Mm -hmm. like, on shamanic paths, it seems like... um, people are getting getting called at a greater rate. Now, I know that some of that is, like you said, the availability of information. And to some people, it's just going to appeal to their ego or whatever. But genuinely, I'm seeing a lot of really uh, an explosion in people that are interested in animism and shamanism. And I think there's a, an understanding that spirit not only needs us to act in a physically responsible way, but it's actually calling more people to that responsibility. I believe that's... I really think that that's what this is about. I, you know, the world needs her witches. The world, witches, which is a shaman. I mean, you know, that's how, that's my, I started practicing core shamanism almost immediately after I was initiated into a very, um, you know, classic British, it, it was the Minoan sisterhood. So it was, uh, uh, at the time, it was a very sort of um, avant-garde, you know, it was all women. So that was very radical back then. <laughs> But it, but it was still a neo-Gardnerian tradition. But I immediately saw that the two were essentially similar. That the that you know the Gardnerian was just sort of the modern British cultural um, overlay, mm-hmm. and that it you know at its heart it was shamanism. And then of course gradually we got into the etymology of it, and we began to realize that witch came from witcha, and witcha is a fifty-five hundred-year-old word. It has its roots in the Proto-Indo-European. That's shamanism. You know, it came mm-hmm. from Europe to England. That's 5,500 years ago uh, on the Indo-Aryan plane. That's shamanism. Um, and, you know, and the essence of the practices, when you, when you strip away the Victorian, you strip away the culture, when you strip away ego mm-hmm. and the trappings, um, what you come to, you know, is this kind of universal, this is, these essential practices that are universal, the circle, the, the honoring of the four directions or the six or the seven directions, the honoring of the sacred of Mother Earth, of, of the techniques that open us to spirit, that take us into realms of spirit and that um, allow us to return with new eyes so that we're able to see that the world that we're living in is sacred and that we have a place in that world and a, and a right way to live in that world. I think that that's what's calling us. I think that that is the call, is to come back into right relationship with a divinity that's embodied by the world that we're living in and, and by us. Um, and I think the practices are the way that we do that. Um, you know, if you work it, it'll work. 
Um, yeah, I, I, you know, that's been my experience. In fact, I didn't really have much in the way of teachers. I had the drum. And my priestesses didn't explain anything. We just, you know, cast circle and called the directions and used the ecstatic practices and made magic. Um, and it was the practices that removed my blindfold so I could see the sacred. And it was the sacred that became my teacher. And that's where I was the last 10 years was with my teacher, um, with the earth, with the, with the divine embodied by the earth itself, really, more than in realms of spirit. It was, it was spirit embodied. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what's calling us, you know, species survive when their survival depends on it. Well, the whole damn planet is depending on, right. on our evolution, evolution, you know, this is the time, this is the moment we're a little behind schedule. Um, but I think we can do it. I think, yeah, that's the call. That's the call. Um, and I see that there's a lot of that, right? The, the, the pagan earth Alliance and, a lot of uh, on Instagram, nature witches and natural mm -hmm. magic and earth, you know, earth witches and earth magic. There's a, I think, a real sensitivity that um, hedge witches, herbalists, green witches. It almost seems redundant to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it does. So, what have you seen? What have you seen? When you know, because you've been here, I've been gone. Tell me what you what what do you see? <laughs> <laughs> to drink some water <laughs> Sarah, why don't you take that one so I've seen a big shift <clears throat> I've seen a big shift away from purely modes of, of just application of will I've actually seen in the time that I've, I've been in uh, the pagan communities a move from Okay, your basic starting out books, uh, read the Book of the Law, read a couple of Crowley books, read a couple of Golden Dawn books too. Okay, um, start reading primary sources. Start reading um, people who are interacting with the gods, ancestors, and spirits. Start reading from as many of the sources that get to the old ways as possible. So I've seen this real big shift just in the literature. And the practices... Are, have gone, in my experience, away from Victorian and more into the more experiential realm, mm -hmm. which um, I'll, I'll be honest, as a former ceremonial magician, I, I do take some kind of comfort in that because <laughs> um, uh. we're getting away from ultra-specialized language and more into what was your experience with you know, this god, this goddess, this ancestor, this spirit. Mm -hmm. um, we're breaking down barriers as much as we're also making more useful ones. I think, uh, I think that our, our communities as we're accumulating specialists as uh, elders come to the forefront, we are getting more specialized language in some ways and we're getting lessons under our belt. We would not have gotten previous just because our focus has moved away from a purely up upper head will-based experience to, I, I, think you're, I think you're nailing it on the head that a lot more of us are called to service mm -hmm. and less to my will be done. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot more focus. I think that Jim and I and Caitlin have all talked about this around the fire, that uh, there's much more focus on the ancestors and on the spirits and the gods and much less focus on what can I get out of this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think right. that's a huge shift. 
And I've seen that reflected in people who are interested in things like the permaculture movement, transition mm -hmm. towns. Uh, there's a, a, a big explosion of development in working with the earth as opposed to, well, we're going to go this way. I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming with all my pesticides and chemicals this way. Mm -hmm. I think there's much more emphasis on what can I do where I'm at? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's the essence of it. Um, and it's interesting um, to me the, 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 the intent and the will the air and the fire have always, you know, are, are, to me, they've been residua of a kind of patriarchal mindset, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that, and, you know, in contemporary witchcraft came out of that kind of, you know, important, valuable, and not to be um, diminished, right, because it's much more complex than that, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify, right, um, that would be unfair, but that the dominant uh, note coming out of it was, you know, the head and the will. And, uh, and that was sort of, you know, what magic was. And um, to me, the, the shamanic, uh, because my work was uh, uh, interwoven with core shamanism from the beginning, um, it's sort of immediately, you become very humble, right? When you start mm. to have these experiences, um, when, and they're so simple, right? You, you, you're, it doesn't require elaborate language and it doesn't require, um, you know, synchronizing everything with an astrological clock. Uh, although all of that, you know, okay. It doesn't require ornate costumes and, and elaborate symbols and, endless talking although you can see that i am disposed in that direction <laughs> um, you know or arcane language and gesticulations one of the things that always drove me mad was that we were trained um to reach up and outwards right mm -hmm. so when we honored the four directions the, you know your 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 you held your athami in one hand or at your right, the a, you know a knife a tool of will uh, you know or mind and you we're commanding. I summon, stir, and call ye right. up, mighty ones of these wild guardians of the watch. And every time I was in the company of an indigenous person, and that happened with increasing frequency, not because I sought it out, but just because, you know, because that's where, say, spirit, spirit was moving me, you know, uh, because of the way in which my own path was unwinding. Um, I saw something totally different. And I experienced something totally different. I experienced what I experienced when I work shamanically as opposed to in my Wiccan coven. Mm -hmm. And so my Wiccan coven began to conform with how I practiced in my shamanic circle and what I experienced with other indigenous peoples, which was humility and reverence mm -hmm. and gratitude and open-heartedness and... Uh, <sighs> And a sense of the point being to be in harmony, not control. And I began to, when I wrote my first book, which was 20 years ago, Book of Shadows, um, and I, I, I wrote it as a memoir, but I wrote it in a very sort of novelized style because I wanted people to sort of accompany me on this journey 
in order right. to have the experience. Mm-hmm. I wasn't writing about it. I was sort of writing it. I, and I knew that, I mean, this is what storytelling is, right? Exactly. That you, you teach through the heart, not the head. Uh, and I think that, um, that the spirit resides in the heart, not the head. The head is the tool of the heart, not the other way around. Um, and when I went to recount my first uh, couple of years and the path that led me to a, a group of witches and the experiences of how my life began to change in the presence of the sacred and uh, very much the divine feminine because it was very much the goddess who was calling me at the time. Um, and the magic that began to fill my life, I began to realize that the magic that we did in circle with very keen intention and very, you know, clearly visualized goals and the raising of phenomenal energy, which is something that I see missing, by the way, when I look online and I see how yes. people are practicing, mm-hmm. there's no energy that it's like intention mm-hmm. and willpower, but like, no, there's no, there's no energy and there's no communion with the divine. Um, which to me is the key to everything. Um, But anyway, when I was writing about it and reflecting on it, it was like the greatest magic that I experienced during that period, although we, we, we made magic and extraordinary things manifested as a result, including my first husband. Um, (laughs) Note, I said first. Um, (laughs) I realized that the greatest magic was not anything that I could intend for myself or that my willpower could wrestle into being. And I could tell you some fabulous stories, but we don't have time, um, of what I was able to manifest. The greatest magic that I have experienced in the 40 years that I've been on this path, consciously on this path, is not the magic of intentionality or will, although that's a part of it and has created phenomenal things. It is the magic that flows from the sacred into me and into my life and from me through me into the world. That's, I guess, that's the hollow reed. That's the holy grail. That's the feminine. And I've sort of put the emphasis on that for um, almost from the beginning that it's the idea instead of the wand and the projection of will, it is the opening of the self mm-hmm. as the vessel and the offering of the self as a vessel to receive the sacred and for it to flow into your life. And when you do that, it doesn't work all the time. And sometimes it'll turn you upside down and strip the skin, as you know. <laughs> yes. We'll strip yeah. Yeah, we'll strip everything from you and will hold you down for a very long time until you are completely dust right <laughs> uh, before it adds the water and the light and get you know revives you uh, but that's the great magic and that requires um heart and that requires um humility and um and it requires that we attend to the wisdom of spirit uh, embodied. I'm very focused on that now. I mean, I spent so many years um, shamanically journeying and traveling into, quote, non-ordinary reality, into realms of spirit and working there. And I'm, I'm, that's the method that I'm using right now in the creation of this new witch's tarot deck that I'm working on with um, Danielle Barlow, who is this amazing uh, artist, hedge witch in England. Um, and we're journeying. Every single card, multiple wow. times, 
it's been extraordinary but but what we are what we are journeying into is realms of spirit but realms of spirit as it expresses itself in the world mm-hmm. as it takes form and shape as energy becomes embodied in air and water and fire and earth and all of the creatures of the planet and i you know that's it's an ecstatic state to live in a world that is sacred it, and it is really humbling <laughs> and man do we have a lot to learn yes we do Caitlin, I, I want to get your voice in on here a little bit because out of the four of us, you're probably around the, the pagan and neo-pagan community the least amount of time. You're newest to your respective paths. So I'd be curious what your thoughts are on how these conversations are going and what you've encountered in the in the pagan and Wiccan communities. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I, I don't really know how to answer that because I am such a young I guess pagan, and I hate using that word um, because I, I've never really felt that pagan quote unquote fits me and mm-hmm. what I do. Um, I was actually very, very lucky um, starting my path the way I did through yoga, and I had have a phenomenal yoga teacher. I mean, she she really embodies yoga itself so well that she's able to instill the practices and the teachings of yoga into her students and actually help them find their heart. Just like you were saying, Phyllis, you know, you lead, you lead with your heart and everything that you do. You don't lead with your mind. Mm -hmm. Your heart leads you into ecstatic states if you allow it. Um, But I, what I have noticed a lot is that there is a massive disconnect with a lot of people in their hearts, you know, they have all these really big thoughts and these really big ideas and they really want to do all these really amazing things, but somehow it gets stalled or filters out or they think that they can't do it because they don't have X, Y, or Z. And it's like, it's not really that it's, you have to connect to your core. You have to connect to that loving heart energy and find what drives you from there. Like, Yes, this world is in a very scary place, but we do have the chance to change that, to actually step out and say, no, this is my heart. This is my love. This is what I have to offer to the world. And I know everybody else has the same thing. So, and I I think it's going to take a lot of us actually exposing that aspect of us, you know, becoming um, vulnerable Mm -hmm. to the chance of it possibly hurting but the truth is your heart can never really get hurt that energy can never really get hurt if you are connected to the divine through the heart you know it's it's your ego it's your mind and your emotions that get hurt but that loving energy is stronger than anything in the world in my opinion um and so my path has been focused centrally on that and I just follow where my heart takes me. And I've had amazing opportunities and amazing teachings from not only her, but also Tim and Jim. I mean, they've taught me everything I know. And I just, I follow my heart because that's how they practice. That's how they approach their work. There's so much loving energy to what they do that it has instilled within me that yes, I am doing the correct thing 
that I am approaching this the correct way. And you're right. I have seen a lot of, a lot of anger and a lot of um, malcontent within the pagan community. And it's so funny sometimes the backlash that you get when you say, well, just, you know, lead with your heart. And they look at you kind of appalled, like, (laughs) why would I do that? Why would I expose myself that way? And it's almost a fear because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we all have been hurt in a certain way at some point in our lives. And I think that that whole, that disconnect is what has drawn us to a spiritual path because Mother Earth is feeling that same hole. You know, we are disconnected from her heart, therefore we're disconnected from our heart mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm. That is perfectly said. Although, I'll tell you, she's right there. You know, she really is which is what you were saying before, the disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that, that's one of the things that, uh, I feel as if we are really disoriented, right? That we've become phenomenally unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the risk with social media is that we're, we are locking ourselves even, even more tightly into a, uh, uh, a hall of mirrors right? where we're just right. looking at our, right. right. That it's just this endless kind you of become your brand. Um, <laughs> well, in, in social, media, social media is safe. You know, you don't really have to put yourself out there. I mean, you could just shut off your computer and walk away from the bullies of the world. Mm. You know, if you're out there in the community, I think a lot of people fear a level of backlash too. You know, it's it's one of my fears and one of my shadows. You know, if I do put myself out there, will I be recognized for the work that I have done and what I currently want to do? You know, because I am so young. I'm only 31 and I've only been on this path for, what, seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most exposure I get is at Michigan Pagan Festival and I'm still labeled as an other, you know? <laughs> So I, I'm kind of locked in this, like, and, and I don't need outside support saying that, yes, what you're doing is a good job, because I have plenty of that. I have plenty of people already telling me, like, you're an amazing person. You do amazing things. And it's just that fear of, like, I'm going to step out there and the whole world is just going to turn and give me the evil eye. And I'm just going to shrivel into this tiny little husk and just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to take my, my stuff and go over here and do my thing. and. <laughs> You guys just do your thing over there. That's fine. I'll just be here when you're ready. But the door is always open. Just practice. Just do what you do. I mean, I'm I'm twice your age. And it may take you the same amount of time to come to the place that, that I'm at. Although I think I reached it early on, perhaps because I was public you know, right away, um, you know, when people thought what they still think, but much worse. And I just didn't, I just didn't give a shit. Um, there was, well, I, you know, I, I'm, an, yeah. I'm a nice, I'm a good girl and a nice girl and I want people to like me <laughs> and I can be a bit of a people pleaser. Uh, you know, girls are raised that way. Um, and it's, yeah. you know, it's something, it's a skin we have to shed at some point. Um, but I mean, I think I, 
you know, I would assume the elder voice and say to you that um, the more it's about your work, the less it's about you and the less you have to be afraid of. Um, if, 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 you know, if somebody comes at me now, I don't care. <laughs> That's the blessing of cronehood, you know, that at a certain point, you know, you know what you know what your path is. You know the job you've been given. And I guess that's also the thing about service. You know, that when you are clear about what it is you're serving uh, and why you're doing it, um, it, it makes you strong. It makes you strong. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt if somebody insults you. It, it doesn't mean that somebody can't rattle your, your realm, you know. Um, I mean, I, somebody attacked me uh, on my Facebook page uh, this week. I've never had an attack like that. Guy came out swinging like a crazy person um, because we hadn't put a credit for an image of uh, Lakshmi, of a Hindu goddess. Now, you know those images right there in every, every, they're everywhere. They're in, in every Indian grocery store there. <laughs> Yeah, there is no artist, right? They were created in India. If there's an artist, uh, you, you're not going to find it on the, the work of art, right? So I came on and I said, sorry, as far as we know, it's, a, it's public domain. And, but attacking, and I could feel myself, you know, uh, getting a little adrenaline rush and getting very anxious that I had done something terrible, right? That I'd done some, that I had failed. And when I tried to say, okay, can you help me? I don't know. How do you, he just kept attacking. And I went to his page and I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this looks like a Russian troll. I, because the page was chaotic and, and sort of didn't make sense. And, you know, it was right. I was like, ah, that was a deliberate attack that was sent in at a point of vulnerability, minor point of vulnerability, but here's where I wasn't impeccable and perfect, right? I hadn't credit, happy to do it. Let's see if we can find it. Can't find it, public domain. But I, I reacted with, oh my God, what did I do? And then I took a deep breath, set about correcting it as best I could, took a look at this maniac and realized, aha, brave new world. <laughs> now, um, creatures out there with long knives, with ill intent, with um, bad purpose. So you must be strong. You know, you ha if, if you've done something that isn't perfect, but you act always with integrity, then you'll fix it and you move on. <laughs> and if it's a, you know, and if you've just encountered somebody that is not a somebody, but is, you know, a dangerous creature, you, you know, you put up the shield, you banish them, you block them, and you come back to yourself and you say, did I act with integrity? Did I act with it? Did I do the best? Did I correct if I made a mistake? Did I own it if I made a mistake? Did I do my best to correct it? Was my intent clear and good? Was I serving a correct purpose? The purpose I was accused of? No, that's not what my purpose was. I know what my purpose is. I know what my intention is. Intention back to that. <laughs> I know where my I know where my heart is. And I know what I serve. And then you become a little stronger, you know, for the next time a bigger troll or what you know, or member of the community who doesn't get you or somebody who's 
ego is threatened by you. There's a member of the new age community who every time she sees me just can't stand me. I, I provoke some aspect of her own shadow, hmm. you know, and she attacks me. It's a big shot. I'm like, okay, that's got nothing to do with me. That's got to do with her shadow. So you, you need to just be good to you. And I really think that to the extent that, you know, you know yourself, then you know that you act from integrity. You know you act from your heart. You may, you'll make a mistake, right? You were saying before, Jim, that, that you know, plenty of elders are human and make plenty mm-hmm. of mistakes. You can't be here and not make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. But if your intention is good and your heart is pure, um, Mott will weigh it against a feather and you'll be fine. And the rest of them um, who don't see it, that's them. That's not you. That's them. That's the projection of their shadow. And that's not your that's not your fault. That's not your problem. It's not your responsibility. In fact, it's got practically nothing to do with you. How, how hot is it there in Michigan? <laughs> you know, I don't know the exact temperature. Day, oh, the humidity level is really high. So, uh, Is that helpful, Caitlin, at all? Or do it I just actually... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's actually very helpful. And anybody who's listening right now that is struggling with that, I want you to re- rewind this podcast and re-listen to it and really listen to what she said because she's absolutely correct. It's not if you have done everything in your power to your level of integrity and your level of expectation for yourself, not somebody else's expectation for you. As long as you're living through your heart and doing everything that you're you want to do and that brings you joy and makes you happy and and even if you do everything you can to fix a problem if you can't just live with love and be strong from it and you will grow from that experience you will gain strength you will gain better grounding and footing with yourself and that that is very important especially nowadays you know we we focus a lot on what other people have to say and what other people think about us. And that I think is a huge problem with humanity. You know, it's, are you doing the best you can? You are okay. Good. Continue going. Don't worry about what that person on the road said to you. Just keep moving forward and living to your own beat. Right. Sarah, did you have something that you wanted to add? I was, I couldn't tell if you were. Uh, I I think (laughs) So I'm really getting pushed to find these these quotes because there's a bunch of proverbs that I keep thinking of that I'm, I'm that kind of wrap up what I'm thinking. Uh, there's one by Cicero that says, "Fear are those that wish to be endowed with virtue rather than to seem so." Another one is, "Society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they'll never sit in." Oh right. And the Estonian proverb of the work will teach you how to do the work. Mm-hmm. That's a good and, one. And just to me, these these proverbs keep coming round and round and round again during these conversations as I'm listening to to you and uh, Phyllis and as I'm listening to Caitlin and as I'm listening to Jim, because it's kind of like the the distillation of what I'm hearing each of you saying something to this effect of of it it's not about seeming which is what i think the illusion of a lot of social media allows for is that you right. seem virtuous 
it's really easy to make a post and make a declaration. It's really a lot harder to live that declaration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and this is the thing about surrounding yourself with people of integrity and being in integrity, being a living being of integrity yourself is that it's really easy to say, this is what you got to do to be a good person. It's really hard to actually walk that. And I think that really is where a lot of people, I think you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, um, uh, that this is the part of the circle people are starting to come around to with the heart work. And I think that that's where I, I feel a great groundswell of hope for the communities, uh, pagan, shamanic, uh, you name it. I think that there's a heart connection that lies waiting to be fulfilled. And I've seen it completed again and again with Jim and all of his students. I've seen it completed again and again with those that are in Mimis Brunner Kindred. I've seen it again and again in people that are authentically living their lives that, no, we're not perfect. There are times where I will miss offerings and I will miss offerings sometimes for a week or two. For me, that's a really big deal. Um, but I have to face my gods, my ancestors and spirits with integrity and say, you know what? I just didn't have the, the energy to do it today to do it this week, I was too tired and I needed to take time for me and own that. Mm-hmm. And not as a bad thing, but just being real with yourself and the spirits because you deserve that much respect for yourself as much as your holy ones deserve that respect for why you weren't doing the offerings or why this thing didn't get done. And no different than calling into work and saying, I can't make it to work today. I'm sick. You know, you give, uh, you know, I give my boss the minimum of that respect. And I ask them to honor that risk that, that in kind with, okay, I'm not going to give you grief about calling in because you need a mental health day. Um, just as much as, you know, for a friend who is having a rough time and saying, you know what, why don't we just not meet today and you take time for you. That's Okay. Uh, for me, this is, this is, you know, I'm hearing all of this coming up, you know, when you talk about your yoga and how deep it affects you, Caitlin, um, you know, it really, it does remind me of all the, the experiences that we've shared with our gods, because it's that heartfelt connection with your practice. And so to me, it's, these aren't unrelated things. Well, and I think um, another realization with the, hey, you know, gods and ancestors and spirits, I need a day for myself because I just don't have the energy to give offerings is an offering in and of itself because you're allowing yourself that space to recoup and regain the energy so that you can continue offering to them later on. And I think that's huge. And I think that's something that not a lot of people talk about. I want to share something with you, if you don't mind, because it seems like it fits at this point in the conversation that um, when I had this epiphany with uh, the mother speaking to me and she said, you know, that her, that natural laws were spiritual laws and that all things lived according to her wisdom, that there was an order um, in creation, um, by which 
um, life was created and sustained. And I began to look at what those dynamics were of interconnection and interdependence and balance and reciprocity and that there's no waste um, and one thing becoming another. And, and, um, and that was where I was for those 10 years was trying to see it. And um, to some extent I stopped practicing because I felt, you know, that if it wasn't self-evident um, people weren't going to get it, you know, that if you had to journey, in order to know it to be true, forget it. You know, a lot more people are journeying now than the half a dozen <laughs> that were doing it, you know, 45 years ago. But, you know, like the whole world's doing but not the whole world is doing it. So if it isn't sort of something that you could grok, that you could get viscerally, very simply, there, w- there was no hope. And um, so this sort of takes us also into this thing of depression and not right. being able to practice or do anything, um, make, let alone make offerings. And at the, at the darkest moment of it, when I was sitting outside um, and I was feeling at my lowest point that I, that I was completely um, not able to fix the world. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and I heard the laughing and it was, you know, the mother after this very, very, very arduous, crippling, long, heartbreaking, heartbreak, depression thing. And she was like, are you done now? And um, she said, because if you're not up for it, I'll get you. I'll get there are other people. I can find someone <laughs> else. At which point my one little bit of ego was left. was like, no, no, no. I, I want to do it now. I want to do it. I, I, I promised you, and I want to do it. And she was like, "Okay." I said, "But I'm dead. I'm truly dead, and I don't know how." And she said, "I want you to breathe. Just breathe." And I had done yoga for many years, and I, you know, and I began. And witches all, you know, start their circles with breathing and bringing their breath together, and they chant. And they do, you know, they chant the Om, and you know. So I started to breathe, and it was, you know, a rasp. And then gradually, you know, I, it became deeper and fuller. And then the moment happened where she brought me back to life. Because in that moment, uh, I was no longer just breathing and emptying, you know, my sorrow or my waste every time I exhaled or bringing in clean air and calm and peace. There was uh, an explosion of all barriers, and I heard the green uh, man and woman being speaking to me, non-human terms, and they were laughing and they were telling me that it was the breath of life that they were creating for me that was what was entering me, and that what I was exhaling was not waste or sorrow or toxins or any of the things that were taught, what I was exhaling was the breath of life that my body created for them. And that we were one, that we were intimately connected, that they lived to give me the breath of life and that I had been unaware that I was in fact living to give them the breath of life. And in that moment, I knew I was not alone, that I would never be alone, 
that the divine was fully embodied in my life and in the life of the green creatures that I was exchanging the breath of life with. And um, all I had to do whenever anything became overwhelming or difficult or isolating or cruel or, you know, uh, um, was to breathe and to bring my awareness to the phenomena of the connection, to bring my heart yeah, to the fullness of the relationship that I was in and to be present with the fact that the divine is always just a conscious breath away. And shortly thereafter, I was given the last piece of the puzzle that I had been seeking, and it was that nature has a secret magic. The, bio the biologists who do biomimicry call it that, and that's the talk. That's the new talk that I'm giving in the book that I'm working on is nature's secret magic. And what is that? It turns out that in their explorations of how nature does all these amazing things like create lenses and adhesives and filaments and suspension bridges and all of it better than the way we do it, because we destroy when we create, but nature does not do that, right? Um, she, she, she showed me um, this very simple thing. And this goes to your question about, it's my long way to get to what you were just saying about taking care of yourself. And nature's magic is that the way everything is organized, life, and all of the things that support life, the air, the water, the minerals, everything, the whole shebang, is that when any living creature is taking proper care of itself, when it's eating, procreating, recreating, defecating, dying, whatever it's doing, well, maybe not so much the dying, but right, whenever it's taking care of itself, it turns out that it is simultaneously making the world in which it lives better for all life. That was the moment when I came back to work. That was the moment I went back to writing. That was the moment I said, it's time to return to the community because now I have something to say. Because now I understand what she was trying to teach me. She showed me the last piece of it, finally, through an unexpected source through, you know, science, <laughs> but a scientist who called it nature's secret magic because they haven't figured out how it's possible. How is it possible for all of life and everything that supports it to be organized according to this fundamental principle that when we take care of ourselves, we make the world a better place. We have a lot to learn. And that's the thing that's most important for us to learn. So you don't have to worry if you need to take a day off for self-care and you don't make offerings to the ancestors. You are making, just as, as you just said, as Caitlin just said, you are making an offering to the ancestors. There is no difference. When I breathe, there's no difference between my breath of life and the green creatures that are breathing with me. My exhale is their inhale and vice versa. When you stop and you take care of yourself, you're it's not selfish. I mean, okay, we can be selfish, right? But we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about how to learn in ways that take care of ourselves. And in doing it properly, we're making the world a better place, you know? We have a lot to learn about how to do that. But we're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I'm not very good at self-care, but I'm learning. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> that was really beautifully put. Wow. 
thank you so much for sharing so much about the the process through depression and, and coming out of it as well, because that's a topic that we've covered on this show a couple of different times. Because I think it's really important because, the, uh, uh, as even Caitlin was alluding to, there's the people that you tend to focus on your deficiencies sometimes. Mm-hmm. And even though depression can be an awful and terrible thing, thing it's something that you share with a great number of other people and so there's nothing to be ashamed of in that process it's just where you're at in your life right now yeah yeah i i was um not so much ashamed i was just you know i was being dismembered Mm -hmm. um the shame would come if i if i were uh afraid to share it with people, right? Then right. that would be the expression of shame. Would be my oh, I can't tell people this, right? You know, exactly. then they then they'll know that I'm not perfect. Well, you know, I'm so past like any thought of <laughs> being perfect that you know, not after what I went through. Um, and, but the message was perfect. You know, the earth is perfect. The breath I take is uh, perfecting. In it, not in the ways that human beings think about it, but in the ways that the earth wants us to think about ourselves. Um, yeah, I'm trying to learn from water. We think of fire as power because that's how we've used it in the Western world, mm-hmm. but really, fire is joy. Right. And, and we do yes. tend to think of water as, as love, which it is, but water is also the messenger. Whatever we put in it is carried throughout the world right literally mm-hmm. literally but also you know as a, as a spiritual practice right that mm-hmm. then if we pray over water then we're right we're putting love into the water and then that is what will be shared by those who drink the water um yeah um mm, okay i i'm running out of words i i, I yeah <laughs> depression Depre- you know i don't know maybe it's the nordic side you know the nordic side the, my father's family is Norwegian and they're prone to depression. My mother's side was Jewish. They worry. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> caught between a rock and a hard place. And the, <laughs> the two of them smashed me into, into dust. Um, and I think that a lot of people go through depressions at various points in their lives. It can be triggered by um, illness or the loss of a loved one or a divorce or the failing of a project or being attacked or betrayed by our communities because that happens. There's a big conversation I'd love to have yeah. with you guys. I mean, one of the things that witches need to talk about a lot more, although the traditional coven structure is kind of being obliterated by right. this explosion of, you know, I'm a witch if I say I'm a witch. Um, is the 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 dynamics the projection of parental issues onto um, people who lead circles or lead communities? Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Oh my gods. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I know that what I've seen you know come at me from people in the community isn't anywhere near what I've seen, especially my 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 femme bodied colleagues get because. Uh, as many parental issues as can be projected onto me as a guy, I see it hit way worse in a lot of ways with people who are femme bodied. Even if the person themselves doesn't identify as female, 
if you've got a femme enough body, some people will just throw that crap on you. And it's it's some really toxic sludge that has to be worked out of the communities bit by bit by bit. It's interesting. I, I you know, can't help but wonder, I don't know, you know, is it partly because we're not used to women in leadership? Is it partly because, you know, especially, you know, men's relation, not all men, obviously, thank the gods. Um, but the the need for separation from the mother, right? Because otherwise you don't, you don't mature. Um, and so there's a hunger for mothering and a need for mothering, but there's also a real anxiety that it, that it provokes in people. Um, it, it, yeah. I mean, you know, you see it with, Oh, I love Elizabeth Warren, but I, I can't vote for her. Why not? Well, you know, she's too much like my mother. God, jeez, you know, God's jeez, you know, mm-hmm. um, we have a long way to go, um, and I don't know whether we're ever going to get there. I, I mean, indigenous cultures are mixed. Some of them are great. Some of them are not. You know, mm-hmm. I think of the hope. I like to. I used to. I you know idealize the Hopi, and then sort of got smacked down into a little bit of the middle of some of the traditional Hopi, and it's like pretty patriarchal. Hmm. So you know that tendency to to um, to think, oh, they did it so much better back then, or oh, these indigenous people really know how to, do, you know, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. It's well, going to be interesting. We're in a society that um, that doesn't value tenderness and and caring relationships like I think it probably could. Um, especially from, you know, from the men's side, there's so much dogma that comes with male roles and how we're supposed to act and the machismo that comes with it, that we lose a lot of tenderness. And then when you dump that into the, the neo-pagan and Wiccan community, I think that's where I start seeing some of those pockets of anger Ah. show up is because not only are we wrestling with that, but we're also wrestling with, I think the way I'm going to describe the phenomenon is that we're, we're trying to relearn how to be tribal and interdependent and caring for each other, but we're trying not to bring the tribal baggage with it, but we're not so successful all the time. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Part of it is the difficulty of uh, modern life, right? That we don't live in small communities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not intimately interdependent and interconnected because we're living in a small, essentially subsistence society, right? We're, you know, I'm in New York. Where's my tribe? Oh, my tribe is on Instagram. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's great until you need your plumbing fixed and then. (laughs) (laughs) Right, or somebody to watch the kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, true. But I, I do, I think that there's great truth beyond that certainly for me, I mean, that was my experience in the difference between sort of coming out of a, a neo-Gardnerian background and the shamanic approach was that the language was different. The mm-hmm. posture was different. The humility was different. And I have felt for a long time that that was the, the natural path that if people kept practicing, regardless of how they practiced, whether they were ceremonial magicians or Minoans or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, that if they kept practicing the simplicity 
at the heart of each of the practices would emerge and that they would become more, um, I don't want to say indigenous, but it, it, it's the quote that you had. Was it, was it not what I, I went to write it down that, you know, if, I always say if, if you work it, it'll work, right? What you right. were saying mm -hmm. with the quote, that the work will teach you how to work. And that part of this work, work in a circle, honor the directions, engage in ecstatic practices, alter consciousness, engage spirit, see it in, you know, embodied in the world, you start to become indigenous. Right. You start to belong to the land. You may not belong to the land in a tribe, you know, in, in the way we're talking, right, in this ancient tribal manner. And, and we're always dealing with the um, contradictions. Yeah, like I have electric lights running right now, right? Um, there's plenty of them. I have a long list. Um, I live with it every day. I live with endless contradictions every day. But I'm also, you know, increasingly um, clear about... Yeah, there were just as there were all kinds of problems with tribal cultures, yeah, you know, and there were all kinds of problems with modern culture. But just as there were these gifts of humility and balance and harmony and connectedness and um, a certain way of engaging with the earth and with the sacred and a capacity, right, to see the sacred, um, I think that's the direction that we're moving in. In that sense, I think of us as increasingly indigenous, that we are increasingly connected to the land, to the spirits of place, to where we live, to how and how to live correctly. And it's, you know, and we're increasingly sensitive to being taught. That's where the humility comes in. Mm -hmm. And being open to being taught how to live. And I think you make a really valid point with that. And I just had kind of, I, I don't know if you can call it an epiphany, more or less like a, a clue by four, but... I think the more and more we come in contact and in balance with nature and earth, our tribes will emerge from there. You know, the more we take on that tribalistic mindset by balancing what we take and give back from the earth, it'll actually promote the, the movement of more, a more tribalistic mind. You know, a lot of people are really focused on well, where's my tribe? Where's my tribe? Where are my people? I need my people. You, you don't need that yet. You know, we don't have the, the motives to support that kind of lifestyle right now. You know, we need to start at step one, first and foremost, you know, look at the way you're living your life, look at <clears throat> how you work with the earth, not just energetically and spiritually, but physically too, mm -hmm. you know, are, do you have a garden? Do you have, if you live in a city, do you have a porch patio where you can have, you know, patio pots out there growing tomatoes and uh, peppers and herbs and whatever, you know, I, I have not a lot of land, but I have enough land to have a garden, but I have patio pots with an entire herb garden in it that I harvest every couple of weeks. And um, my husband, buys me flowers every every month just his way of saying thank you and I love you um but those always go back to my compost I always mm. offer that back to the earth you know they don't go into the trash and we always compost all of our food scraps and stuff like that so once we are able to 
reconnect with the earth and really learn her and learn where we fit with her, I think the tribal society will actually blossom and bloom out of that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think that <clears throat> like, for those who are looking for tribe, I think the I think one of the key questions that people really need to ask themselves, and it's not all that different from when you're looking for a coven or a group or what have you in general, am I willing to am I willing to be myself with this group of people? You know, scars, flaws, and all, and am I willing to reciprocate that? Because um, the thing about the tribal society, and I, I love Elisheva's talk about the the grumpy plumber for the village. You know, yes, he was an ass, but he did his job. He earned his place in the group, mm-hmm. and you know, there were certain topics you just didn't broach with him, and he did his work, and he went home and enjoyed his home life. Um, I think that to a certain for folks who are looking for that tribe, um, are you willing to melt a bit is a, is an open question. I think the, the other thing is what are your lines in the sand? Mm-hmm. Like what, what can you not compromise on? And equally so, what are you actually looking for? Because you might not be looking for a tribe. You might just be looking for somewhere to belong. Well, I think that the part of the problem with a lot of social media when they say, well, I'm looking for my tribe is that they're not looking for tribe. They're looking for people who have tendencies or, or certain hobbies or things in common. And that's mm-hmm. fine. That's what group associations are for. Yeah. Like uh, I'm a brewer. Uh, I happen to have a lot in common with you know, these people, this group of people that call themselves brewers, but that doesn't mean we're a tribe. It just means we have a shared hobby. Um, are you looking for a tribe or are you looking for a hobby? And those are two different things. And I think right. that a lot of confusion results when we mistake, you know, I want association or I want a group of people that I can call friends or, or, or acquaintances versus I want to actually live in concert with these people in an actual living community. Right. That is a, it, that is on the, the order of a marriage. In terms of seriousness. I think uh, what Phyllis was talking about earlier and what we've referenced before is for us, shamanism means service and which means service as well. And I think a lot of times people are not, as you said, they're not necessarily looking for a tribe. They think they are, but what they're actually saying is where are the people where I can fit in? And the subcontext of that is how can these people serve my needs? When really the question needs to be flipped around. It needs to be how could I serve a tribe? And from that, a tribe will form. Yep. I, I will, I'll put Mimis Kindred as a front and center example. We had no intention when, when all that started, you know, a, a, quite a number of years ago, we started as a Northern tradition study group. We started studying the runes. We had no intention of bec- becoming a tribe group when all that started. And it, it just happened as things went on, as we had experiences, as people came in and we emerged as a group and some people came and some people left and and that's fine. That's what happens sometimes. And what really stuck out was that we were committed to the idea of us being 
this tribal group, being this kindred. And we were going to be there for each other. And we are there for each other. You know, I don't even have to question when I call up any of my, mem- my kindred mates. You know, if I'm in deep shit, they're there. There's not a question. <laughs> you know, same with Jim. I called Jim brother for this exact reason. I know that if I need something, if I get him on the horn or if I text him, I'm like, I'm in a spot. There he is. And, you know, to me, that's a that's a different order entirely. When people say, you know, oh, tribalism is tearing our country apart. Uh, that's not what we're talking about at all. That's a different. That's a different thing entirely. That to me, the word for that is factionalism, and that's a different monster entire. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when you're talking tribe, I mean, you're talking about people who you would be willing to take a bullet for or to defend their life. This is a different shade of living entirely than the individualistic culture we live in. You know, I, I, a lot of the upper crust of our society is, I got mine, Jack, thanks. Now, piss off. <laughs> whereas, any, whereas the bottom is like, anybody who's lived in poverty, you can't live that way and, and actually make it. Mm-hmm. Not for long. Yep. So I, I think that we're coming to this idea not of, of, well, you know, everything's just rotten and horrible, so I guess I'm just going to grab the nurse life raft. I think that people are gravitating toward people that actually resonate with them on a heart level. I think that a lot of the conversation we've had here is about that resonance on a heart level, both, you know, not just with just people as, as people in a group or wanting to make it through this climate change or make it through this upheaval, but I also think it's, it's coming together in community as much more of a heart, heart connection because there's a lot more going on when you're talking about neo-shamanic work. That's really deep stuff. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're being really generous by sharing so much with us, Phyllis. But I mean, these are the kinds of experiences I generally don't even share on this show because some of these are just so close to the heart that the, the only people that really hear this stuff are maybe Jim and the kindred. And that's about it. You know, um, and we're talking about really big heart connections really coming to the fore. And that to me is really where that tribe is being found is moving beyond the, the, my will, my mind connections. And can I actually connect with this person on a real heart to heart basis where this is not just an intellectual exchange. This is a full blown reciprocity cycle. Mm-hmm. That's, that's intimidating sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, Phyllis, how do we, so as a community, as a, as a Wiccan sure. or neo-pagan community, how do we as a group kind of move around that circle a little bit further and get out? Uh, do you have any thoughts on what those next steps look like, what you'd like to see the community doing, how you think the community could grow in that way? God, I don't know if I can answer that because I don't think I've been back in the community long enough. Okay, that's fair. Um, um, I mean, for those who are practicing at the half midway point of the circle um some of them will make the journey around simply because they're practicing right Mm -hmm. if you work it if you work it it'll work and so they're casting a circle and at some point it'll occur to them that you know (laughs) oh you know you need to move on um they need mentors and um 
having been murdered by my community, I was extremely reluctant to return to that role, but, but so be it. Um, you know, when I was given, when, you know, when I had the epiphany, the, she was very clear. She's like, and now you have to carry it. And, you know, that, that was the biggest part of the long struggle. Mm-hmm. And now I am fully committed to carrying it. So part of carrying it is being available as a mentor. So I think those of us who have made more of the journey around the circle need to teach the rest of the circle. You know, how do you go, how do you do grail work? You know, how do you open the heart? How do you, um, how do you uh, make yourself humble before the teachings of the great mother embodied by mother earth? Um, how do you learn to listen? How do you learn to breathe again? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you move away from uh, the first level of work, which is ego? You know, what I want, you know, how I'm going to get it, you know, how, that, right? The, right. Which is what draws so many people. Um, and a lot of people will leave a- after a certain point. How you move them um, beyond. I think one of the, uh, you know, so I'm teaching. You know, that's what I was like, please remind me. Um, Hay House, uh, which is a new age publisher, mm-hmm. uh, asked me to write this little book for them, which I did, Wicca Made Easy, um, which is a, was a chance for me to go back and sort of revisit um, classic Wiccan uh, practice, but from this um, more mature perspective. It isn't the, it isn't the, the utterly um, deconstructed shamanic approach because they asked me to write about Wicca. Right. Um, it, it is, however, necessarily some much more shamanic um, than previous works because of where I am now. Um, and then they asked me to do this online course, and it was, you know, it was a it was a witchcraft one hundred one again. And I was like, why am I doing witchcraft one hundred one? You know, I'm like forty years past witchcraft one hundred one. <laughs> but it, but it was a chance for me to revisit classic practices sure. again and to simplify them. And in the process, if you cannot do it simply, you don't understand it. And my work and what I have, the reason that I've characterized it as shamanic is that it is increasingly simplified. Mm -hmm. It becomes simpler and clearer and more lucid. And, you know, always present with me are these experiences that I've had working with um, indigenous peoples who've invited me into circles at very sacred times for very unbelievably profound moments. And the work is utterly simple could not be simpler. In -hmm. part, that's because so much was obliterated for them too. Um, But in seeking to retrieve um, the work and to to go forward in a sacred way, lo and behold, it's all quite simple, you know, and that's sort of the point. It's really quite simple. Um, And so, um, uh, so I'm teaching again, and I'm teaching at the simplest level, and I'm teaching the simplest thing because if you can't say it or do it or experience it simply, then you don't fully understand it. I don't fully understand it, but I understand it a little bit better, mostly because it was shown to me because um, I couldn't have been any more humble than I was <laughs> when I was nothing but dust. Um, so that. Um, I'm a little concerned mm-hmm. about people who are putting stuff up there and repeating it you know, I'm a witch because I say I'm a witch and nobody can tell me what it means to be a witch. And you don't have to be, witch, to be a witch is not to be, it's not a religion. Mm-hmm. 
they make a distinction between witchcraft and Wicca, which is okay, although, you know, Wicca being this modern post, you know, gardener, okay. Um, but um, I, I, I look at them and I'm like, you're not practicing. You're doing some kind of little esoteric magic-y kind of a thing. You're not a witch. Mm -hmm. A witch is a wise one. A wise one who is seeing the sacred. That is inherent. That's the definition. That's the meaning of the practice. It isn't about manipulating things so that you get a new boyfriend. You know, <laughs> it, it, or, you know it's just not. That's a little bit of, you know, a little, little bit of poppet magic, whatever. It, to be a witch is to be a wise one. To be a wise one is to be in the presence of the sacred. It is innately, inherently, by definition, a spiritual practice. To practice witchcraft is to practice a spirituality. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what you're doing, but you really, you know, okay, call yourself a witch, whatever. I'm not going to get in a fight. You never swing down. But, you know, I see that and I, it'll burn itself out, you know. Um, and I expect that people will come at me because I'm saying, I know what it means to be a witch, you know, and they'll say, well, you know what it means to be a witch for you. And I'll say, that's right. That is right. I know what it means for me to be a witch. And for me, it is a, a profound and sacred path. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. It'll chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> um, so you better be ready. I don't know if you have the strength or the character for it, but if you're willing to to um, if you're willing to open your heart and serve something greater than yourself, um, there's a great magic that lies ahead of you. It's a lot more powerful than a poppet for a new boyfriend or to get rid of the old one. <laughs> Actually, you, you kind of hit on a topic a little bit that I don't necessarily expect you to have an answer on this, but I, I would just make the observation because it's one that, that the three of us have talked about quite a bit. Um, the difficulty in paganism, Wiccan uh, practice, shamanism, to know what constitutes a good elder and how to find one because age does not make an elder. It's something else that's very hard sometimes to to define well as, and to know if you're actually finding those people well. That's a, that's a big challenge for people that are just beginning. That's a hard one to overcome. Yeah, and like we were talking about before, it's partly the curse of the seeding of the community through a coven structure that was mm -hmm. very small and closed. And... I've, I've said for a long time, our blessing is our curse, right? We have no hierarchies. We don't, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't, ha I didn't have elders. The priestess that trained me was like four years older than I was. <laughs> um, uh, she'd been around longer than, you know, been practicing longer, but for sure. Um, and a lot of the elders have died now. And a lot of us are dying at young ages. I mean, Margo was 65. Um, Isaac was in his 60s. Um, Ray Buckland was in his seventies, but he, I, you know, maybe he may have been his early eighties actually. He's gone. I mean, you know, one by one, everybody's disappearing. Um, I do think it, that you're right. It's not a question of age, but it is a question of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, there are people who are very wise. I've met scores of them who are gorgeous hearted. I mean, you know, um, 
Caitlin, you said that you haven't been practicing very long, but you're wise, right? Um, I mean, there's a wisdom that comes with time uh, because there are cycles of life that you have to go through um, and, and unmakings and dismemberments and, and um, you know, you have to be wounded in order to self-heal, mm-hmm. in order to truly heal others, right? And that requires some time spent being alive although there are plenty of young people who have suffered. Um, yeah, caveat emptor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Birds of a feather, people will find, you know, find their tribe, people will find folks of a similar interest or passion or, inter- mm-hmm. you know, or, or um, inclination, uh, fascination. And, uh, and if you're lucky... You you remain coherent, and um, and form true bonds and become traveling companions for a long time. I lost many of mine um, through no fault of my own, through failings of my own, but not faults, uh, but also through the failings of those with whom I was in company. Uh, and part of the journey is you know you make the journey, and there are people with you. Some of them are good guides just because they're good people and they have good instincts. Um, I mean, my first uh, shamanic group was uh, very diverse in, uh, everybody was white, but very diverse in age and backgrounds. Um, and uh, it, it had come out of, it was the very, it was the Brooklyn group that had come out of the uh, teaching of Michael Horner at the new school before, long before he'd started the foundation or before people were even practicing. So it was really like the first group and um, wow. other than his. And, um, and it, was the, it was the practice that taught us. There was no elder. Mm-hmm. There was no teacher because Michael came periodically, but he wasn't teaching us. Right? It was the method. It was the drum. It was the journeying. It was um, the power animals and the guides that we received um, who, who taught us. Um, it was the method. It was, you know, we worked it and it worked. We didn't have an elder. Um, we also at a certain point fractured because we were people, right? Mm-hmm. And so the group, um, went out. Um, yeah, caveat emptor and, um, and practice, you know, if you work it, it'll work and the teachers will come to you the, here. Okay. I'm talking too much cause I'm, talking to find the right answer to some extent we all have the same teacher um you know we have individual teachers we have our particular guides our our ans- our particular ancestors our particular spirits that work with us our allies who work with us um the gods that work with us the particular path that's given to us um when i was initiated the idea of the craft name of taking the craft name the way i understood it was that that became your guide Mm. became your mm-hmm. teacher. Um, wow, that's something that's kind of lost, I think, in modern practice. I don't hear mm-hmm. that very much. Oh, I've I've actually never heard that. Oh, I, really? I heard that your your magic name or your spirit name or whatever is a, a powerful name, but I never really understood why. That's why. That's why. Because um, it, it's preposterous to call yourself by the name of a goddess or a god. I mean. How ridiculous. You know, I took the craft name Aradia, which I share now, uh, and um, never used it publicly uh, because it was such a demanding 
undertaking, although well suited to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the name is the name that you take becomes your teacher. Uh, I think in what you know, including if it's a uh, a magical name like uh, you know whatever, uh, like yours, Caitlin is your, your last name. Is that your last name or is that a name you've taken? Uh, actually, that name came to me in a, a series of interesting moments of my life. My after Shortly after I moved out here uh, to live with my then boyfriend, now husband, um, he noticed a pattern with the storms that would come towards us. And he would watch it and we would watch it on the radar and it would come towards our location and it would just split off into two different directions or just completely break up before it even hit us. And this happened for years. And so he started jokingly calling me by the moniker of Cloudbreaker, and it just kind of kept happening. And so I went on a journey to talk to my spirit guides and I was like, this name feels really familiar, but something's not quite right about it. And they started laughing and they said, because it's supposed to be Stormbreaker. Mm. And so I, and I, I agonized over this for the longest time because I was like, oh my God, I love storms so much. Like, I don't want to break them into pieces. I want them to be here. I want them to be around me. I want to experience them. And so, and I, of course, talked to Jim about it. Um, and the more we, I kind of hashed through it and we kind of hashed through it together. Um, pieces started falling into line with each other. And once I accepted the name as my own, that's when storms started hitting our area again and more regularly. And I'm still learning the understanding of that name. There you go. It's the learning. <laughs> so it, it's given to you as a path, right? As a, it's a guide. Um, and then you learn the lesson, then you learn, it teaches you, which takes me back to the, the, that, the, you know, we've lost so much, but we have enough of the practices. And if you work them, they'll work. And we have the same teacher. Um, I mean, the spirit, but for me now at this time of crisis, a crisis created because of our disconnection mm -hmm. from spirit, but mostly from spirit that's embodied. The teacher is Mother Earth. Okay? And the lessons are about shedding, allowing ourselves to be dismembered, to shed what is unnatural and rediscovering what it really means to be human and what it means for us to to live in context, right? Because we've separated ourselves, that's the whole of mirror, right? And we've defined everything by ourselves, by what we think we are and who we think we are and what we thought God was and all this nonsense. And we haven't paid attention to the reality of who we are, of all the things that we're embedded in and connected to. Uh, you know, I now understand that the green plants taught me that I am not just me, I am maker of breath of life for trees. There's a practice that I like to use with people in this um, new work I'm doing about nature's secret magic that was created by a, 
I can't remember his name now. Oh, God, senior moment. He's a, uh, an early eco-psychologist and um, did a lot of work with children. And he created this practice called unnaming, which to me is so powerful that um, kind of the opposite of what we were just saying, wow. that your name is your path. But in a sense, yes. Um, and it's the idea that, that you stand before a natural being, a rock. Uh, see, I'm using words. Part of my epiphany was part the early stage of the epiphany was realizing how locked in words human beings mm -hmm, are, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we label everything, and we think in labeling it, then we know what it is, right? Um, like, oh, you know, I am my name. No, you're not your name. Your name is your journey. You know, your name is your mystery. Your name is what you have to go find out. Um, okay, so what is the tree? So you pick whatever it is that you feel calling you, willing to teach you, and you sit with it, touch it if you can. It could be a small object like a stone or a great object like a tree, and you unname it. You ask it to be present with you. Um, it's the heart that listens best, right? And, and you begin to observe, and it's kind of, a, you know, you can start by telling yourself that you're free associating, that's fine. The free associations then begin to be a flow of information, in fact, and it can become very poetic. But what you'll recognize right away, you cannot call it an oak tree. I'm looking at an oak tree right now. There's an oak that is like the spirit of my home. And I want to have solar panels, but I can't have them unless I cut down the oak. Dilemma. Right. In order to, to be to get off the grid, I have to have solar panels. To have solar panels, I have to kill a tree. I'm not going to kill this magnificent, huge white oak tree, right? That has lived more than I have and will. So, and I, it's the spirit of this new home that that I am in. And I go to the tree, and I cannot call it oak, and I cannot call it tree. Who are you? Mm. And it begins to show itself to me, and it begins to teach me. And everything that it teaches me, I discover, as I reflect on what I'm being taught, is a relationship. I cannot understand it. I can isolate it if I put a name on it and call it Trey. But if I remove the name and try to truly learn from it, I can only understand it in its relationship to everything else around it. And in it. And on it. That it's a home you know, for trees, that it's a source of food for woodpeckers, that it is a shade maker, you know, in which um, beings can rest and be cool, you know, that it is, uh, that it is a mother tree that has created many children, oh, can't say tree, that it is a mother that has created many children, um, that it feeds, that it feeds the squirrels, you know, um, that it is a source of food and nourishment in life, that it creates the breath of life for me you know, constantly, that it's constantly exchanging the breath of life with me. You can do that with anything, and it will begin to teach you, and it will begin to bring you back into perspective. Um, and so that's the, the greatest teacher that we all have, uh, aside from the practices and the guides and the spirits and the ancestors, you know, the beings that will come, the spirits that will come to speak with us and teach us and heal us and fix us is the embodied, the great spirit that is embodied and is our teacher. It's the same teacher that our ancestors had. 
And if we do our work properly, it will be the same teacher that our children will have. I don't have children, you know, um, but I have, you know, I have my tribe. Right. And, um, and if we do our job properly, there'll be a planet left for them to learn from. But they won't learn unless we learn. And that's our teacher. That's our, to me, that's our greatest spiritual teacher. That's why we have, we have sacred days, right, at, at the, the Sabbath days. That's why we keep the, especially women, keep the rhythms of the moon. I mean, you know, there's all this embodied divine wisdom. And we have to learn, we have to humble ourselves and learn again. But the divine is a breath away. Wow. It is. Wow. It truly is. You know what? You know what? I hate to say I, it, but I, I can't think of a better way to wrap <laughs> up than that. Those were amazing words. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much by the thought of just unnaming. Thank you so much for that. That was wonderful. I'll get you the name of the guy who invented it because, really, if I'm going to quote him, I ought to at least be able to honor him with his name. <laughs> Wise, wonderful man. Spends his, and he, he also says spend as much time as you can outside. Yeah. I agree, definitely. Anytime you want to talk about um, depression and dismemberment and recovery um, as a spiritual process, you know, in a couple of months, I would. Yeah, be- I feel like we can do a whole show just on mm-hmm. that, can't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, fellas, um, before, I actually, before I wanted we to... go, I, I do want to make sure that you get it uh, out there. You have a Facebook Live coming up tomorrow, right? And so the people um, that are hearing no, I, this podcast will I be did it it today. soon? Or? No, did it today. Did Got it another today. Facebook okay. Live, a Facebook Live on um, July 22nd. July 22nd. Okay. Fantastic. Because registration for my uh, uh, Wham Bam Magic Bam. shamanic witchcraft that's awesome one and only um for hay house big deal actually really big deal um it's such a huge thing that they have opened themselves to the to this uh you know and offered their platform for Mm -hmm. this teaching um ends on july 23rd so uh people can learn about it just by going to my webpage. And if they look at events, if they click on events, it'll take them to the three things uh, and they'll see all the stuff about the course. There's, I laid out all the teachings and uh, it's eight hours of online wow. stuff. And um, shamanic journeying, I was really uncertain about about pursuing that. Um, but, you know, I asked and I was like, nope, you should do it. Go ahead, do it. So there's a whole, it starts and uh, I, on your the website, first. there's a free uh, spell ebook and all kinds of other fun <laughs> things too. So I'll make sure I put the link uh, in the show notes for anybody that's curious or interested in that. And then also, uh, I know people can find you on Instagram because I've been following you on Instagram. That's Hi. a nice platform. Yes. Thank you. Lots of live videos going up there. Yeah. I actually really enjoy Instagram because it's a, uh, I don't know, it just feels more personal in the way than Facebook does when, when you see everybody's pictures and the things in their life that are bringing them mm-hmm. joy and their pets and their, their children and everything else. It's just, I don't know. It's a lot more positive platform for me. I agree. I agree. It, and, and there's some real artistry and there's some real magic there. I'm, I'm just starting and I'm, you know, sort of awkward, but, um, I'm in awe of the people who have rendered it into a, a, you know, a magic place. Yeah. This was a joy. 
Oh, thank, thank you, you so much for coming on tonight. Well, we really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. And yeah, a couple mm-hmm. months, let's see about having you back on and let's, we'll do the deep dive into depression and dismemberment thank and you. all that other uh, quote fun unquote stuff. air quotes, fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it was, no, it is, you know, it is fun once you get all the way through it. I yeah. mean, the, the getting through it is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like sitting around and talking about the battle scars of what happened with this and that. Like, it's fun after. Right. But it is. <laughs> well, I, I thank you again. It's really been an honor, and I'm I'm very grateful for you giving me the opportunity to be in your company around this fire, which is a, a fire of joy, and and uh, to begin to find my voice again. Um, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you for coming on. There's no 